What's up, Internet? You're tuned in episode 147 of the Comics Pals. I'm your host this week, Pete and Bessie, filling in for Sean. And we are a, a group of comic book journalists who get together to talk about comic books because we're fucking huge dorks or whatever. Oh, jeez. You really tried to do the whole Sean thing, huh? No, I mean, <laughs> I, I changed it at the end. That was my little inversion. Because uh, you felt self-conscious. We all see through you. <laughs> oh, am I, am I John Cena? <laughs> yes, yeah, I got um, to keep the bits alive, you know? You're doing great. Uh, I'm back from island time, baby. Island I time. I was gone last weekend. And uh, while I was away, uh, completely sober the entire time, I figured out who Leviathan is. Who is it? The Sean. Oh, shit. Yeah. You know what? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> Tell me why. Well, first of all, Leviathan is... Uh, an international spy, right? Yeah, or like, like villain? Is he? Yep. I don't know. Philadelphia doesn't seem out of the country. Don't you feel like it would make more sense for it to be Kale, who's literally an international man? Yeah. Where's he been I can all see this that. time? Yeah, and and honestly, if someone had to have villain villainous tendencies, think it'd be Kale. Yeah, I don't know. I I think Sean is a a true paragon. Gonna have to check the math on that one, uh, Phil. Oh, you know what? I feel really silly. I didn't carry the one. It is kid. Oh, no. See? No, he's just backpedaling. Well, all right. No. No, no. I'm cutting this off at the legs. This is, uh, this is, you, you've reached the peak of this joke. <laughs> and as Sean for the week, I'm cutting it off right there. <laughs> so if this is your first time joining us, welcome to the Comics Pals. We are a weekly comic book podcast where we talk about comic book news and sometimes we review book, books like we will be this week. Uh, so thanks for joining us. Uh, just before we get into the rest of this nonsense, let me get you through a few plugs. If you do want to support the show, uh, or, you know, follow along if you're a first time listener, make sure you, uh, give us a follow and a like on your podcast hosting platform of choice. We're on damn near all of them at this point, but if there's one that you like that we're not on, let us know and, uh, we'll switch it up. And, uh, you know, you can also get in touch with us on social media, uh, or by hitting us up at the pals at gmail.com. And, um, you know, you can hit us up just like our man Carlos did. So if you are a, uh, a regular listener and you tuned into last week's show, you'll know that Sean and I uh, read Carlos's email. We got started on the question and Sean gave us his answer. But since the rest of the gang wasn't around and he, he really liked the question, he said, you know what, Pete, why don't you save your answer? We'll kick it to next week. It had nothing to do with the fact that I also couldn't think of an answer to the question. But, hey, we're (laughs) here. So in case you didn't, you missed last week's show, I'll reread the email real quickly, and then I'll let you fine boys answer this question. So Carlos writes in and says, Hello, Comics Pals. First off, I wanted to say thank you for answering my question two weeks ago. Uh, I'm glad it made for a good conversation for the show. So for this week's question, this week's random question of the week. Well, hey, Uh, I wanted to ask, who are some characters you would love to see have a romantic relationship in comics? For example, I always love the idea of Batman and Wonder Woman as a couple who are just together without any of the, oh, will this last or will they eventually break up aspect to it? For me, both characters are so sure of themselves in the JLA number 90 by Joe Kelly. um, Yeah, yeah. Oh, and in. Sorry, I was going to say that was a weird sentence. And in JLA number 90 by Joe Kelly, we got a glimpse of what the relationship could actually be like. If you're like the if you're the type of comic reader who doesn't like relationships in your comics, please explain why so, as I would like to hear that side as well. Uh, Thank you for taking my question, and I can't wait to hear your guys' answer to it. So thanks again for writing in, Carlos. Uh, A question so that we like so much, we read it twice. 
so just to answer the second part of that question um i really like when we have relationships with comics it allows for a lot of flexibility in storytelling and you can you can otherwise show a character's personality in a different way uh sort of bouncing off somebody in a specific way which is always interesting you get to see them in maybe more of like a, a tender open moment which is which is always nice and to explore that side of a character and as for a relationship um i've always liked the and i feel like i brought it up uh the wonder woman i mean wonder woman the oh my god the the storm and forge relationship ah uh, okay uh back in the in the like uh chris claremont x-men well, I think um, it's not a new couple, right? But yeah, it's it, but it's like the one that I think stands out to me the most. Okay, um, I, I definitely think I would, he I, wants I would like to see that explored. Yeah, like a, a new, new one. one yeah, too, yeah. Um, a new one. I respect that Man. pick. Though. I was always a fan of that pairing myself. Honestly, Kitty and and Rogue. Yo, all right, my man's breaking all kinds of uh, norms here. That'd be that'd be that'd be hot <laughs> okay marco but also i like them as characters and i think it, uh-huh, it'd be yeah, like you know uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah right here we go here's back the back pedal, pedal. Right? it's like so so <laughs> the back pedal i <laughs> never <laughs> no marco's a pervert it's fine <laughs> yeah that's fine yeah that's okay my man's got the car in reverse <laughs> um yeah what about you philly i'm not a ship i'm not a shipper at all i don't think about that kind of thing sorry my man carlos i don't have like I, I, I don't think in that way, and, it, and when I, I kind of just gloss over that stuff on the internet when people start pairing off characters, and that's not to say I don't dislike relationships in comics because uh, obviously it's a temple and important. I mean, Superman and Lois Lane um, are the, the, the gold standard, you know, for like a functional good relationship couple. Uh, but I don't sit around saying like, you know what? I'd really, really like to see Superman with Swamp Thing because I secretly want to date Marco. No, of course not. Ooh. <laughs> um I I another aspect is like Daredevil comics frequently have Matt Murdock dating a, a variety of characters and I think that's compelling for him because he's a dysfunctional dater um and that it makes uh, compelling you know uh, story elements for that character and in those books but the, the, the way I kind of always see it is Every character and story is shaped by the artist and author on that book. And so any relationship typically is through the lens of that creative team. And so I think for most characters, their traits and personalities aren't necessarily static. They're interpretations of that creative team. So I I don't really think of it that way, where it's like, oh, I'd love to see these fictional characters pair off. I don't even think of friends that way, because I, I feel weird about the whole thing. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't really have, like, an ideal fictional couple in comics. Is there one that you enjoyed reading about? Oh, yeah, Lois and Clark. Um, I'll tell you what, as a kid, I was more into it. Um, I... So in X Exiles, uh, Nightcrawler and Scarlet Witch had a daughter named Nocturne, and I was always really into that idea. I was like, oh, what's up? And of course, that's never really been explained, uh, explored in the main continuity, but I was into that as a kid. Like, what would that be like? Sure. 
Yeah, it's funny because I had a similar kind of thing where, like, I, I really like romance in comics, but uh, even, like, a week out, I really don't have, like, a super compelling answer because, like, I I feel like I I definitely am very into romance in, in comics, and I get attached to a lot of, like, pairings that I liked when I liked them, right? Like, I agree with sure. Marco where I, like, yeah. I like Storm and Forge together. Obviously, like, you have your... Peter Parker and MJ or whoever, like, you know, I've always liked him and Black Cat together. Um, so it's like, You're there are dynamics that. like that, that, would you say? You're going to say that. Yeah, of course, whatever. You know, I like a femme fatale. Um, <laughs> so, you know, like I, there's certainly a lot I could list that I enjoyed. I think the one I brought up last week that I really liked was, um, and maybe not because my audio got a little messed up, uh, but it was uh, Ultimate Spider-Man and Ultimate Kitty Pride. I always really like that pairing in uh, in that run, which was like a fun deviation. So it's like, it's not to say that like, it's not something I'm interested in or like, but I don't have like a wish list of characters that I like would love to ship together or whatever, you know? Um, one thing I, I think I would think would be cool to see though would be for them to uh, give Wonder Woman like a significant canonical uh, relationship with a woman since it's like always kind of implied that you know, that she's, you know, at the very least bisexual. Um, yeah, like the, the Themyscarian women. Yeah, right, because, like, obviously yeah. before she came to the world of man, like, there's been stories that have explored her kind of having relationships with women, but I feel like in, ever, once she comes to our our world, it's, like, kind of, you know, a little bit different. So, like, you know, maybe, I don't necessarily think that I would want to see her paired off with another one of the, like, like prominent uh queer dc superheroines because i just don't know if any of them like i don't know if i see any of them together you know but i think that as a concept is something that i think would be like interest i would be interested in seeing and i think would also be um like it makes sense for the character and it kind of feels like oh yeah like why like it's kind of weird that like this hasn't happened yet you know and actually, I guess I'll say, like, I wish Sean was here, because he'd know better than I would, like, if that is the case, and there is a pairing I'm not aware of, or something like that, like, definitely hit us up and let us know. What do you mean, like, uh, Like, I'm saying that I want that because it's a thing that hasn't been explored, but I also am not the most seasoned Wonder Woman reader, right? You know, like, I've... So it, no, could, it could have happened. Yeah, it could have, right, at some right. point, and I'm just not aware of it, but, like... I don't think it, I don't think it really has. Um, uh, the, the main... One I can think of is Steve Trevor, obviously, and she's obviously dated Superman. That's a boy, Phil. Uh, no, I know. I, that's why I said I don't think it's <laughs> happened. Like, it definitely didn't happen in George Perez's run. I don't think it happened in Brian Azzarello's run. It definitely didn't no, happen didn't. in Brian Azzarello's run. Um, I, I in in Morrison's Earth One, she's like, you know, uh, sexual with other women. But I don't think it, their idea. They have like a very polyamorous understanding of relationships on Themyscira in that book. Yeah, so it's like clear that she's there having romantic relationships with women, but like not necessarily like a great love or something like that or maybe not even romantic yeah. like sexual you know like yeah so i i can't i can't really uh think of i don't think it's happened really so it is a it's an idea and i bet people would like it if they did it dan Dio and jim lee yeah right that would i be... got the title for you guys already wonder woman muff muncher <laughs> oh my god gross marco <laughs> ew <laughs> 
<laughs> you're supposed to be the Yo, cute one. You're such a <laughs> filthy little pervert. Baba, is your brain broken? <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like there's juice there. I feel like there's like... That, that yep, would also you're doing be... doing it again, Pete. <laughs> I hate you guys. Why couldn't it just be me you're and Sean my again? man go off. <laughs> uh, I, I was just going to say, I feel like... Um, this would be such a fun book too, because when like all the the fucking crybaby, you know, uh, fans like got up in arms about it, it's like, oh what? Oh, is this a problem? You know, because you know Wonder Woman's historically been by. So you want to get all up in arms about this? Let's go. Let's throw it down. Uh, <laughs> they probably would. Uh, they almost certainly still would, my man. <laughs> I know, of course. That's why it would be <laughs> hilarious, though. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, uh, thanks so much, Carlos, for writing in again. And if you want to, you know, any of you out there want to hit us up with your your questions or uh, your answer to Carlos's question, you can hit us up at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And uh, if you're nice, we'll read your words on the air. Actually, shit, even if you're mean, we'll do it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get into some pals polls. Uh, Phil, this week you uh, had a ton of books on your list, uh, number one of which is Daredevil number 10. Yeah, so we're missing two of our sweet, dear boys, so I had to pick up the slack. Um, Yeah, if you guys aren't reading Daredevil by Chip Zdarsky and Lalit Kumar Sharma, uh, you guys are missing out. It is maybe the best book of the year. Uh, It's certainly in the top three. It's in the conversation, you know. Um, The last issue was so good. Um, What can I say without spoiling it? It I'll say this. It was a Daredevil issue without Daredevil. And it was sepoid. There's a lot of that in this. Uh, Chip is really taking the time to explore Matt Murdock more so than Daredevil. And that's always really compelling with that character. That's always really compelling in general. I kind of wish more uh, writers would take the time to kind of explore the person behind the cape or behind the mask. And that's what Chip's doing here. And I tweeted about this earlier in the week, but um, Daredevil's been really fortunate to have a lot of really standout runs in the character's bibliography. And I can already see this one being one of the higher ones. That's how good it really? is. Yeah. It, wow. It's funny because you said the thing about Chip taking the time to go behind the cape, and I feel like that's something that as a writer, he seems really interested in doing um, the three significant Marvel runs that he's had that I'm aware of are um, his Howard the Duck run, which was super introspective, uh, which we did a book club on, which uh, should be out um, this week. Right, Marco? The end of the month. End of the month. Okay. Uh, the Oh, is it? No. The 23rd. Is that next week? No, it's not. The following week. Yeah. You're doing great. Bob. Yeah, okay, cool. So two Fridays from now. Uh, so Tuesdays. Look forward to that one. Oh, whatever. It'll be out soon. Wait, we're, we're on Tuesday. <laughs> You're doing great, Bubba. My bad. Uh, so look out for that one with uh, Tyler Olson from The Long Locks. It was a great time. Um, but then also was Spider-Man Life Story, which is obviously a similar kind of like introspective look at the character. And then Daredevil, uh, which you're saying is the same kind of I thing. I believe the Spider-Man book will be released on trade in the fall. Yes. Uh, and that's when I will definitely pick it up. So it's definitely, uh, yeah, he's, he's very interesting. Um, I, I have a feeling 
that he is uh he's gonna be a quick riser yeah i mean i think he already is like i think i made the point recently that it's like i feel like marvel's positioning him as one of their top people soon you know like Mm -hmm. he's definitely definitely. a, a talent on the rise and i mean it's funny because he like already made a name for himself and could have continued having a successful career as an artist for sure after sex criminals but um his transition into being a writer has been really successful so also on your list this week you had superman's pal jimmy olsen number two yeah so i don't know if you guys have read the first issue by matt fraction but it really encapsulates the spirit i think of the old school 1950s jimmy olsen comics with kind of a modern flair um, that first issue was terrific, and Superman, like, it made, like, my first instinct is I want to see Matt Fraction do a Superman book, but then I kind of thought more on it, and I think this is the perfect avenue for him to do a Superman book, because it's all about Jimmy and his relationship to Superman. Um, and I think this book has a lot of potential to be a, a real, like, this This will turn some heads as well. Um so I'm really curious how the second issue goes. That was a, as far as first issues go, which is always a really challenging hook for anyone. It's just it's hard to hook someone with a first issue. Yeah, that first issue was fantastic. I'll have to check this one out. Yeah. I was really interested in this in the Lois Lane books. That mm-hmm. I think I, you both like this. Yeah, I mean, I heard a lot of good things about it. Uh, I think the Longbox Boys talked about it, and it was very much up my up my alley. Yeah, I mean, I really dig Matt Fraction too. Yeah, and what was that that one Superman book that we read that like had a section with Jimmy Olsen, like whatever that was? It was I loved it. Was it, it was the it was number zero for the event Leviathan? Right. Thing. Okay. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah, I I think I think I think this will both be up here, Ali. You both like the Archie stuff, and Jimmy Olsen in the nineteen fifties, I think was a, a was kind of a response to the popularity of Archie comics. So it has that kind of. Uh, taste it'll leave that kind of taste in your mouth cool yeah i'm down to check that out yeah <laughs> so crazy to think that like those those two books back to back right and it's like man sex criminals is obviously like a huge book but like to see that where these two guys have come now it's like great to see their careers grow love them both uh so then you also had x-men grand design the trade paperback Ooh. this, this is the third one. Oh, um, third trade paperback excuse me Right. Uh, I, I read the first one, which is uh, incredible. Um, I uh, will pick up the second one this week. I meant to pick it up last week, but my shop was sold out. Wow. Um, yeah, so you guys, I think you guys will really like this too. I, I really think, want to check this out. This is very much up my alley, and I think like we're reading I'm in an X-Men mood this, right now. Yeah, we're reading this... Uh, Ed, I'm sorry, we're reading this Jonathan Hickman stuff right now, and I really honestly in earnest think that these grand design books are a great refresher to bring you back into the x-men that's how i felt reading the first volume so we're three volumes in i think i think this is worth all of our time to read all three of these can i ask you a question about this film yeah would you say that do you think that this is like a good initiation point to someone who's not familiar with the x-men Absolutely, it 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 has that. You know what it kind of is like to me, and maybe I'm wrong and crazy, but I feel like this is what All Star Comics was meant to be. All Star was a call and response to Ultimate Comics from Marvel, right. but it was a little it was it was different. 
Ultimate was a whole line of a universe. All-Star ended up just being kind of microcosms of like the essentials of what are supposed to be the characters. And it was a mixed bag, obviously, because uh, as, as much as All-Star Superman is praised as being kind of a gold standard for the entire industry, the art, art form and the medium, All-Star Batman and Robin were really pol- was a very polarizing book. I feel like this is what that is. It kind of encapsulates, it's kind of like the color series that uh, Jeff Loeb did, but more. Okay. It takes it takes it's more ambitious than that. That's cool. Yeah, I'm interested in it because I um the House of X two right was last week. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I was reading that issue, I was like so enamored with it, and I reread it tw- like twice in a row. Um, and was talking to Sarah about it before the show, and when I got to sit down with Sean, and she was like really interested in it, and she's like, "Oh, like you've been talking about this, and it sounds really cool. Like I think I want to check it out, but like I don't know any like almost any of these characters, you know. So like I feel like I can't just like go into this without knowing the X Men. And I was like, "Oh, I wonder, I wonder if Grand Design could be that entry point, you know? And I, now I'm kind of thinking I might pick up the Grand Design books, have her read those, and then see if she can get into House of X and Powers." I think I think Sean's a really good litmus test um, for authors and artists um, in general. He's 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 really good at kind of getting the inside track on rising talent. And he you know uh, he interviewed Ed Pisker last year at New York Comic Con, if I remember correctly. Um, Sean did we Sean, interview Ed Pisker? Or oh, we Ed, met, or, Ed Brisson. Oh, uh, was it Ed Brisson? Yeah, it was Ed Brisson. That's Ed Brisson. Well, we meant to interview Ed Pisker. I thought. Yeah, I think it doesn't it matter. I, it's okay. Either way, Sean knew Ed Pisker was good a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he did. He did a hip hop family tree that like a couple way way a couple years back. Yeah, right. Really good stuff. Yeah, and again, it's just a, like like Chip. This is another like really talented writer who's on the way up. Which is um, good. So it, it, it bodes well for Marvel. <laughs> Yeah, and so yeah, and this industry needs fresh talent in a big way. Yeah, um, it, it, it's funny because I wouldn't even say that it like needs it as much as it needs that fresh talent to start breaking through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because exactly. there's a lot it, it, of really talented young people in the industry that are like trying to, and we talk to a lot of them who are trying to yeah. uh, make the transition from part time to full time. You know, like when we first interviewed Sabella. You know, like he wasn't a full-time writer yet, I don't think. Or he had just become yeah. one, you know, and he had already yeah. written a lot of good stuff. So and he was already an Eisner nominee and wasn't making a living writing comics yet, you know? Yeah. So like that's, I think it's it's good to see people like this who were new blood a few years ago starting to get this level of opportunity where they're the ones who can really like control the conversation because as good as a lot, like as good as a lot of the you know, heavy hitters that are still around are, I definitely think this is an industry that's way too obsessed with legacy and like, you know, the heroes that came before, like honor those people champion their work. Great. But like there are new young people who are doing great stuff too. And they need more opportunities. And like when they're getting them, we're getting quality books like this. Mm -hmm. They're going to tell the quirky stories that no one else will because they're trying. Yeah. They're they're trying to trying that chance. Or again, like this is a book that's very rooted in history and legacy, but it's told Mm -hmm. for a new generation from the perspective of a younger writer. Yeah, for sure. Um, And to answer the root of your question, I think 
I think these books are a really good gateway for Sarah to appreciate X Men stuff. Cool. I will have to pick them up then. I was I gotta go to the shop anyway. Um, I gotta pick up a ton of books. <laughs> um. Okay. So then, uh, the uh the next one you've got on your list is I'll, the first one I'll put on mine, which is uh House of X number three. Yeah, I wasn't on last week to talk about number two. Um, I think it's big, the best issue we, so far. We were we were really left with a cliffhanger on on Powers of Ten number one with with what that panel that page meant with Moira McTaggart and Xavier, and what he did with I, I don't want to go into too much detail because I'm sure you and Sean really broke it down. Oh but yeah, my 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 basic thought was. What he did was really ambitious because I think doing an entire expository issue is something that's really challenging to make interesting. Mm -hmm. To be like, this is what happened. That's so hard to do. And that's what, and that's what um, Bendis is trying to do fucking in event Leviathan being like, this is the stuff that happened. Yep. Uh huh. (laughs) Only. And that's a huge. Yeah. We'll go. We'll get into it later. Uh, when we review these two books, but this shows what a talented writer can do with something that's challenging versus a writer who's mailing it in. And Hickman killed it with that issue. It was it was compelling, interesting, and the voices with the characters was dynamic. And so I'm really interested to see how he follows that up in issue three. Yeah, me too. Uh, absolutely. I I um. I yeah. sung its praises last week a ton, so go listen to that review if you haven't. But Sean and I love the issue. I think it's the best one so far. And I'm I'm really, really compelled by what Hickman's doing here. And it's the most invested I've been in a Marvel event since Civil War, I think. Marco, did you read this issue? Uh, I did. Did you um, dig it? I loved it. Yeah, shit. I'm um, sure you did too because of like the callback to... Like, it's... I don't know. The the whole recontextualizing of Moira is so interesting. Yeah, yeah. Her voice is really like fa- like it's she draw like the way he writes her is it draws you in. So one thing that's really challenging, I think, in comics, uh, is trying to give a voice to like, a, like I think in the, like in this context, I can't imagine how difficult it is to write a character who's lived ten lifetimes. Well, and, it's interesting because he. Sorry, go yeah. ahead. Finish your point. No, finish your point. Oh, so I was just gonna say, um, it's 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 got to be really challenging to write a character who's lived ten lifetimes. In the same way, it must be really challenging to write a character who's a celestial or something. Like writing a character who has like and and that and and this week's issue of Powers of Ten. We'll get into it. He writes characters who are like galactic brain. Excuse the meme like level beings and they're like endeavor to write something like that. I can't even imagine. He, he, what he, what he's been doing is like playing within the rules, but being able to introduce a new concept that gives him access to it. He, he like basically annexes a small room next to like this big playground. And he starts building upon his little room from the building pieces of the playground. Right. And like makes this new playground. And, and, and it allows him to to be able to oh okay cool this is the new Moira and but you know this is how all this shit affects the future a thousand years from now right and and because you can do that you have so much control where otherwise you would have a limited 
a limited space that you have to work in uh and that makes that hard but yeah. he fucking kills it and i feel like it's also really interesting because of how hard it is to juggle multiple timelines in a story in a way that's compelling and and makes it feel like everything has stakes um but it does yeah hickman's just a g like that's just it um we're gonna talk but a we'll, lot we'll talk, a lot more yeah. about it so let's you know we'll keep moving here um so also on my list i've got snot girl number 14 um we love snot girl you know, I, I'm a big fan of the book. We did a book club on it. But Go check it out. We, confession, Pete, I fell off it, man. I don't know what it was. Like I, I don't know, dude. I, uh, you're just disappointing. I, I think I think there was like a break. It was too long of a break or something. And I just There was a pretty long break between the last arc and this one. And I was just like, oh, that's right. That's a thing. Like, I still see her art, but I'm just like, oh, that's right. That's I have to get a book. I forgot about that. Can, can I disappoint you too, Pete? I, I bought the first volume for my roommate uh-huh. to read because I thought she would enjoy it. Did not enjoy it. Oh. She was not a fan. Yeah. All right. She's a tough nut, man. She also didn't like Saga. So Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> mm, questionable tastes. <laughs> yeah, she's I don't I don't know, man, because like the one book that I've heard her talk about with high praise is Silver Surfer Requiem. And that book fucking whips. So like <laughs> it's not like she has bad taste. I just don't get what she wants. <laughs> uh, I think she liked um, what's that book called? Um, the Stranger Things type book. Oh, Image. Paper Girls. Yeah, I think she liked Paper Girls. Mm, that's that's anyway. Um well, I like Snot Girl, and I recommend it highly, so go read it. Uh, and then I've also got Life is Strange number eight, uh, which is a book I've been talking about a lot recently. Um, so if you're a regular listener, I'll, I'll, I'll spare I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. I'm a huge fan of the video game series Life is Strange. Uh, Titan has been doing a tie-in series that follows the adventures of Max and Chloe, who are the main characters from the first series. Because uh, Life is Strange 2 is out right now, but it follows a new cast of characters. Um... So it's been really fun getting to see these characters' story continue, and they've kind of elevated the stakes in a way that is really interesting, but makes sense for uh, what was previously established in in the you know the the source material. So um, you know I don't usually dig licensed comics. A lot of times, like the whole we're going to continue the story in the comic book thing, like I think kind of falls flat um, because getting the voices of those characters down is hard, and so much of a performance is the acting or the voice acting and you know you lose that when you make that transition but um the creative team here has really done a great job and uh if you're a fan of life is strange which i know some of you are out there um definitely worth your time and i'm gonna keep plugging it uh you know indefinitely until i stop liking it (laughs) is that a threat yes all right, so uh, moving along into the news, uh, Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp are apparently not done with the Green Lantern just yet, which <clears> means Sean God. and Phil are happy, happy boys. As we've talked about previously, uh, Green Lantern number 12 was supposed to be this uh, this duo's kind of wrap on their run of Green Lantern, um, but according to Liam Sharp, uh, the plan is for both of them to come back for another run on Green Lantern in the near future. Um so this is in the wake of the Green Lantern Black Stars announcement, which is a three-issue series that's supposed to start in November. 
Uh, and then we have this this quote from a, a tweet that Sharp put out, right? So he says, all three covers link up into one sprawling piece. And I'll be back for at least 10 more issues with Grant Toon, uh, but this miniseries will rock. It was the plan all along. So, and then this, this article from Newsarama also calls out that the two of them have described 1 to 12 of Green Lantern as year one, like quote year one or quote the first season. Um, so the kind of speculation here is that that would either resume with Green Lantern 13 at some point or that the Green Lantern series that's on currently ongoing will continue with a new creative team and then they'll come back with like another book at some point in the future. But either way... We've got at least another ten issues of Green Lantern coming from uh, from from Grant and um, and Liam. So, what do you think about this, Phil? I know you've been a real big fan of this book. Obviously, you're famously a big fan of Grant. Yeah. Um. If if Daredevil isn't the best book of the year, this definitely is. This is fantastic. I can't I can't sing the praises of this book enough. Um. The Black Stars have been a major element of this book um on on ran um so it makes sense that they're gonna kind of tie up in a bigger way my other thought is this seems reminiscent of like serializing green lantern which i feel like is really appropriate he's really made it this this space cop book really pulpy which i dig and that really reflects in liam sharp's art style um yeah, I want to see more from Grant on this. Honestly, um, I just want to see Liam Sharp. Do whenever anything. he tagged, he's incredible. It's because this book so, really yeah, did uh, not speak to me, but the art was enough to just like it was enjoyable to to just flip through it. Yeah, I think you should pick it up and give it another I, chance. I, I think what I might do is once it wraps, try to read the whole thing as a as a book rather than month yeah. to month because I think I'll get more out of it that way. I think that's totally fair. So the first hardcover dropped. It's the first six issues, I believe. Oh, that's already out. Um, cool. Yeah. So that yes. might be worth picking yeah, up that on one. its own. Um, yeah. This 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 hits a. This is a nice feel spot. This book. Um, it's nice seeing Grant on a major superhero title again. Uh, on a monthly, yeah, and. This this is the best Green Lantern book since Jeff left in what 2013, 2014 or whatever. And he's picking up the ball and running with it. His Hal Jordan is it feels like a 1970s cop show uh in space. It's so fucking rad. It's just it, it's an enjoyable run and it is an enjoyable take on the uh sci-fi. It it feels like this um uh, Strange Adventures series that I've been reading. I have the omnibus for it, so like nice. I've been reading the like I'm strange. yeah, and it just feels like like that. Like it's just a series of one adventure after another adventure, and then it just works perfectly in that sci-fi form. So let me hit you with this, guys. I I I, I have a thought that I just came up with. Um, do you know who should direct a Green Lantern movie? Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> yeah, I mean that could be good. Because that's what this book 
feels like it could be, which is just like this very pulpy 70s Tarantino love letter to that era. I just saw Once Upon a Time in America and like wait, Hollywood? Uh, Hollywood? conflating. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. America is a movie with doesn't matter. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis from like doesn't 20 matter. years ago. Yeah. Anyway, I just saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and after uh, catching up on this book, I, I can see that being a happy marriage. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Well, I'm excited for you guys. Um, we'll see if my reread grabs me. You'll come around. You'll come around. Maybe. Even if I don't, I, like, I can recognize the objective quality of the book, even if it's not for me, just because it's it's really good at what it's trying to do. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to give it another shot. And even if I don't dig it, I think it's probably worth trying. Um. Listen, man. There's too there's too many coincidences here. He is the Green Lantern, and Green Day wrote a song called "When I Come Around," and that's what's gonna Shit, happen to you're you, right, man? How can I argue with that logic? <laughs> that's why they pay me the big there bucks, baby. All right. So next up on the list, we've got a little bit of Marco centric news. Uh, Top Cow has a brand um. new. Uh, like really cool complete hardcover edition coming for Postal, uh, which is a book that Marco's a huge fan of. Uh, it collects Postal one through twenty five. Oh yeah, he's, uh, I always he's forget. John loves it too. A, yeah. Um. So yeah, this is this is an exciting one. Uh, it's got Postal one through twenty five, as well as the uh, FBI dossier number one, and then Postal Mark and Postal Laura, which were like the two kind of like post. Uh, books that came out mm-hmm. um, yeah. all in a new Kickstarter exclusive dust jacket if you want to go and uh, backstart or kickstart the book which uh, Top Cow has a, 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 a what's the word for it campaign going on for right now um, where you'll be able to get access to it like months and months before it's available in uh, comic or retail shops which is cool um, it's like pretty unique actually like the idea of having like a major, you know, publisher do like a Kickstarter and the whole advance access and everything—it's it's a cool, cool concept. Um, the only thing that won't be included is that uh, there's the upcoming sequel, Postal Deliverance. So none of that stuff will be included, but all of the previously published postal content under one roof with a cool exclusive jacket. If you want to get it early, uh, what's your take on this, Mark? Are are you gonna are you gonna pledge? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what do you? What do you like about Postal? Hit me with that. So Postal is a an examination of a town filled with nothing but reformed criminals. Um, and it focuses on a mailman who has autism. And he is left to sort of manage and sheriff this town in tandem with his mother. And it's just a really interesting exploration of like how crazy... How crazy former crazy and or villainous people will go to do things to to direct power to be able to acquire power and yeah it's it's a really cool drama that uh i think sean and i both like for its one one violence um but two also just like really compelling story drives um and yeah i'm buying this thing like a hundred percent it's interesting that they're pulling it out through or putting it out through a kickstarter i I get like the early access portion and all that but it it, it, you would think that they could just publish it as well right well that's the thing they are 
So just for no, no. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. So you yeah. got that part of it. Yeah, yeah, no, I, but like why they wouldn't just publish it. Well, I would imagine that, you know, like Postal's popular, but like how popular is it is probably a, a valid question for something like this. So, you know, when you do a cool Kickstarter campaign like this, I mean, I think when you do a Kickstarter campaign for something that's guaranteed to happen anyway, it's basically just doing pre-orders, you know, and yeah. like you're ensuring that you're not going to take a loss on this. Which for a company like Top Cow, you know, and Image, um, it's probably not a huge risk, but like, why risk it at all if you don't have to, you know? Sure. And it's cool because, like, if you're a Postal fan, you're going to get a lot of really cool exclusive, excuse me, swag. Uh, so we've, yeah. we've got a quote from um, Top Cow's statement on the subject. He said, Postal fans will have the opportunity to pledge for rewards exclusive to the crowdfunding initiative with tiers offering backers name in the thank you section, a postal enamel pin by yesterday's, five exclusive postal postcards, which is postal postcards. That's funny. Uh, complete postal single issue set, all seven postal trade paperbacks, and Kickstarter exclusive bloody dust jacket. So... Like, if you go for the top level, there's a lot of really cool stuff that comes along with mm -hmm. this that, you know, I'm sure that they wouldn't make otherwise because, like, I'm sure making, like, postal enamel pins is, like, not something that's, like, makes sense cost-wise. It's not The Walking Dead or something like that, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. But for this, if you're a fan, you can go get the stuff and uh, you're going to get this really cool package for it. And the nice thing is that um, if you just, you know, want to get it and like if you've never read it you know like maybe me or phil uh you can go and do your backing thing they're going to send you the digital version of the collection by october 29th and then all the physical rewards and the physical book will come in april 2020 so right time for halloween if you uh if you go back it now you could read it digitally in a few months mm -hmm. if you if you need more convincing uh remember the creative teams are brian mike uh brian hill Matt Hawkins, Linda Sajic, Isaac Goodhart's on here, Philip Sevy, who we recently interviewed. Like, all these guys take part in this, and it's really good stuff. We've interviewed, like, most of Thanks. the creative team. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. They're all friends, friends of the show. The show. Um, yeah, so check it out. Postal, the complete hardcover. Uh, as of right now, it's got $5,923. Uh, so it's already <laughs> more than double its goal. So it's happening. Uh, so if you want to go throw your weight behind this thing and see if they hit some stretch goals, you got 27 days as of this recording. So by the time you're listening to this, you still got plenty of time. So yeah. uh, give it a look. Question. What do you guys think about this as like, a model? I think it's brilliant. Um, that was right? one of the things I wanted to bring up. Yeah, was that this is kind of unheard of and I don't think it should be because yeah. I, I think I've seen a lot of I know people on the internet are assholes, so it's not surprising. But like you see, you see flack when someone or a, or a company or something that's established does a Kickstarter because they're like, "Why do you need to do this? You have money, or you could get a publisher, or you could do whatever you could do, you know, like whatever." Um, but like, I think it's stupid. Like, it's stupid to be mad about it because it's not like they're asking you to give them money for nothing, right? It's like, hey, we want to do this thing. Let's gauge the interest in it. And right. this will not only pay for your copy, it'll ensure that we can pay to print it and not lose money and, in fact, make more money. It's like, what? It's a win-win. And, and, and how established is Top Cow, really? I, I, it's, it's not a major Yeah, company. I mean, it's an image imprint, um, so, like, it's obviously part of image, but it's, like, image is number three in a 
and a far number three in an industry that runs on razor thin margins. So it's not like they can just afford to yeah, do this exactly. kind of collection and be like, well, we'll see if it sells. This isn't Marvel or DC backed by Time Warner, AT&T, and Disney. This is Image. And also, not to not to slight any of the awesome creators that work on this book, it's not a blockbuster with, you know, Jonathan Hickman's name on it or some shit either, you know? So, like, this has an audience. It obviously, you know, was a really successful book for them, or they wouldn't be doing this. But I think this is a smart way to gauge the interest, make sure the people that definitely want it get it, and... If anybody else goes and picks it up, great. There's an awesome postal collection out there now. Easiest way to read and, the book. And it's also like a way to because these things have prices attached to them, right? So at the end of the day, you're paying, you're exchanging whatever you feel is a comfortable value for whatever you're getting, right? So yeah. even if it is being pushed by a bigger company that does have the backing and the money, it, um, Top Cow is going to publish this anyway, right? But this is, to your point, uh, Pete, the way to gauge that interest and to also be able to tell you, maybe even direct your your audience to something, right? It's like, hey, this is really cool. We have this really great idea. Um, if this is of value to you, like, just chip in. And also, it's a it's a it's a proven business model, and I think people like like to turn their nose up when you say shit like this. But it, this is how business works. Um, if something is limited and special you're more inclined to pull the trigger on it. And even if, even right, like Marco, you could have been like, oh, that sounds like a great collection. I'll definitely pick that up at some point. And you might've bought it at a Comic-Con or something at some point. But by the time you bought it, did they did they take a huge hit on the chin already? Like whatever. This way, you're like, oh shit, it's limited. Okay, that obviously is an incentive. And then B, if you're a super fan and you're like, well, fuck. Yeah, I would love a enamel pin or a shirt or whatever, then you can get it and you would never get that otherwise. So yeah, I think this is a great idea. I, I think Kickstarter, Indiegogo, that whole thing, as long as the creators, the developer, whoever, like the person promising the product delivers on what they're doing and you know Top Cow will, they're a company that has like, you know, people who will hold them accountable if they don't. Um, it's it's I think it's really just a win win for the consumer and for the business. They don't have to take a risk, and you get the product that you might not have gotten otherwise because it was a risk. So, this is cool. Cool news for postal fans. Um, I've been wanting to read the book, so I might honestly just go do this. Like, oh, do it. Be oh, the oh, yo, it's probably should, the cheapest should... way to get the book. Yeah. Wait, so, when is this coming out? Twenty twenty. Uh, I can get the, I'll get the digital copy in August or October, but yeah, the it comes out in April 2020 is when they're going to ship everything. Because you got to they got to print everything and package it and all that stuff. All right, okay. Plus, it the the campaign doesn't even end until September, so you know you're getting it like a month or yeah, like a month after the campaign wraps, and then all the printed stuff will be there within six months. Totally, totally, that's a great turnaround. As far as I'm concerned. Uh, all right. So next up, we've got uh, Noah Hawley's Doctor Doom movie is apparently a no-go at Disney. So we talked about this a while ago, um, that there there was a there were plans for a Doctor Doom movie alongside a slew of other Fox movies that got announced that we knew were never going to happen. Like Brian K. Vaughn was supposed to be maybe be attached to like a Silver Surfer movie. There were all these announcements that came out of it. Um, I don't think it's at all surprising 
that this isn't happening at this point. Um, but, you know, the acquisition has gone through. This has all come together. And, you know, Holly, uh, it was kind of doing interview rounds because um, Legion ends this week, which is, uh, you know, the X-Men spinoff show from that universe that uh, he's been doing for, like, two or three years now, I think. Yeah, three years. Yeah, this this season three, and this is the end. Uh, a lot of people like it. But um, this was this is what Holly told Deadline while he was kind of like on the press tour. I mean, where it stands now is that the movie is done and Legion is done, and I've taken a little time off because someone told me there was this this word vacation, which means you don't work, which sounded really interesting to me. <laughs> but you know, I need to circle back to them and announce that I would love to make it and figure out if it's something that is possible, whether or not they already have a plan in place for what to do next with those characters, or whether or not they're open to my kind of vision for what to do with those characters. Uh, but it's sort of on me right now to go push them, which I will do as soon as I come up for fresh air. So, you know, doesn't sound like it's completely. Canceled. No, but it, it sounds like it's probably not going to happen, at least not in the way that it was originally envisioned or talked about. Doesn't meet the cookie cutter formula of the MCU. I mean, probably not. And I think even I, I feel like cookie cutter is a little harsh, but like the the reality is that like the MCU has a house style. They have a vision. And if you don't fit in that vision, you're not you're out. So this this isn't super surprising, and I also feel like the idea of them doing a villain-centric movie was something that I never really saw happening, especially when they haven't done a Fantastic Four movie yet. So. Made Marco yawn. Oh, my bad. He's just tired, Phil. <laughs> tired of the MCU. You're projecting. Mar- Marco's not as much of an MCU hater as you, Phil. He likes the MCU. Yeah, I, I enjoy it, actually. Like, if you go back and look Whoa. at all of our reviews, the, I think the lowest score Marco's ever given an MCU movie is, like, a high seven. You know? Yeah, just like, probably. Yeah, it was fine. I enjoyed it. It was a popcorn or, movie. Or maybe... Uh, mm, mm, maybe, like, a... Yeah, yeah, around there. Not like, a six. High six, Maybe I'd a say. six. Because, like, I remember you maybe didn't really like Doctor Strange, but, like, that's, like, it. Yes, like, yeah, yeah, I, I feel yeah. like that's the only one. <laughs> Since we've been reviewing but, them together, anyway. Right. No, but, yeah. Um, uh, they, they probably have uh, this guy planned out already somewhere. Like, Yeah, I mean, the, as a, yeah, he's got to be the central villain of a fucking Fantastic Four movie, right? Yeah, he's, he, he's, he's in there somewhere. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe it's not dead, but I, I wouldn't hold your breath for that one. I think any of the movies that were announced on Fox's slate pre-acquisition do not assume are going to happen. New Mutants R.I.P. <sighs> Yo, have you heard the drama about that lately? Like, oof, apparently Disney is not happy with it. And, like, I, I saw a rumor on Twitter from, like, a Marvel insider or whatever who was saying that, like, it seems like they... they the the buzz seems to be that they're going to do a limited theater run and then direct to DVD like and streaming, whatever, like get it out. Are you serious? Yeah. They're like not happy with it. Apparently shit, which like, can you be that surprised after how fucking Phoenix did? Anyway, so rolling into our main topic this week, as we teased at the top, we are reviewing Event Leviathan number three and Powers of X number two. Uh, Let's kick it off with Event Leviathan number three, because that is the book I enjoyed far less. Um, So spoiler-free thoughts on this one. Should we just just jump into it? Full spoilers for both of them, yeah. I, I, this, 
Event Leviathan is not good, and I don't like it. Um, Damn, son. Yeah, I'm coming out and saying it. Uh, the art is still great. Still enjoying the art, but I I really liked Event Leviathan Rising. I thought that 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 you know zero issue lead in whatever you want to call it like that was a cool issue, and it set stakes that I was interested in, and I wanted to know who Leviathan was, and I thought. The whole face swapping thing was so cool and whatever, but like, I feel like this book, every issue has it's just taken that momentum and just fucking killed it. It's grinded to a total halt. Like the first two issues may as well have been the same issue. They're like just like treading water, and you know, I Phil, you called it out. There's nothing less interesting than like let's have the detectives at the part where they solve the story without showing any of the part of them actually doing anything and this issue is just more of that it was them sitting in the fortress of solitude talking and then a flashback to the fight that happened last issue as if we fucking forgot about it and it's like great we saw more angles and more action which the art's the only good thing so i whatever but like i'm not interested in this it's boring it's really fucking boring he's not good enough at distinguishing the voices of the detectives either so many of them, if you just silhouetted them, you would know, you'd be like, oh, these are all the same characters talking. Except for Plastic Man, who talks, I guess, like, I, I, I think I said this last time, but it's almost like a keystone of what made Bendis a good writer 25 years ago is, or 20 years ago, is that it felt like he had his finger on the pulse of how humans interacted with each other. He's not... 20 something like he was then he's in his 40s or 50s now and he dialogues like a person who doesn't interact with people like i i I think this this issue was one of the most egregious where it it didn't even feel like bendis speak to me as much as it just was like like a character would say something and then every character in the room would react to it and then and then someone else would say another thing so it would be like if I was like, you know, I can't even like think of it because this isn't how fucking people talk. But it, it, it'd be like if I was like, hey, fire is red and you both had something to say about it. And then I moved on and said, and water's blue. Yes. Yeah. Like if, if you said, well, fire's red and it's like, and I'm like, but orange. And Marco's like, or but blue. Yeah. <laughs> And then I'd be like, oh, yeah, well, what about water? Right. And it's just like, ah, it's just, it, it's so weird. And, like, it's not even that it feels inauthentic. It's meaningless. Like, they sit there and talk. And in the beginning of the issue, Green Arrow asks a question. He says, like, why do you think that Jason did it? And that question's not even answered. And, like, it is, but it's through the flashback. It, it meanders. Like, I don't know. Like, it's like... It, it really matters. Oh, it's me because it makes sense that it would be me. It makes so much sense that it would be me. And it's like, yeah, okay. Because there's that whole part, like... It, like, he does this kind of thing a lot where he'll be like, Green Arrow's talking to Damien and he calls him kid. And instead of addressing it, Damien's like, I'm not kid. I'm son of Batman or Damien Wayne. Call me that again. I'll cut your goatee off, and then it turns into like a conversation with Batman. It it it, it it's a it's not how people talk. 
People don't go off on non sequiturs all the time when they're having real human conversations. Yeah, that, that's honestly been the. Sorry, that, that that's honestly been like the the most annoying part of this. Like, I, I don't think that like the content's fine to read through. It, it's just a chore to do so, and, and that's the annoying part of it. Is is I, I have to read through all of it when you can summarize things, you can direct the narrative a little bit clearer, and and actually guide me into interest. Um. Yeah, a, a lot of so that's like the hallmark of a classically trained good comic writer is being able to succinctly tell a story. Uh, it, it's kind of like it's like good journalism in a way, where it's like you're able to succinctly tell a story without meandering. And like Bendis has never been good at that. Like even when he was good, he's never been good at that. He's never been succinct with stories. And that made that already made him like a a a, 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 a kind of a fresh talent in the early two thousands because like that decompression style of, of paneling was unique back then. But it's 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 not it's stale now, and he's not good at it. And and it's it's particularly doesn't work for an event because there are six issues to tell a story here, and we're three issues in, and literally nothing's happened. Nothing has happened. Like, I haven't learned anything about who Leviathan is. None of the characters who are supposed to know who he is know who he is. And they, I didn't see them trying to learn. I've seen them sitting around talking about what they know and what they don't know. And that's been the whole fucking book. And it's, it's not interesting. And there's no intrigue. I don't feel like the, I, I've like the stakes are literally all of society and it doesn't feel like there are any stakes because everyone's sitting around in a fucking room talking to each other. And, like, it doesn't have the weight of, like... And, and again, because the dialogue's not good, that's not enough. Because, like, you look at, like, Watchmen or a series like Game of Thrones and, like, some of the best moments are people sitting in a room talking. And this is not that. It's just bland. And you and I, I think that the flaws of Event Leviathan are like so so accentuated by the fact that I read it and Powers of X back to back, because in the exact same amount of issues, Hickman has created a world, a mystery worth solving, and and created genuine character drama and intrigue. And I want to know what happens next. Each issue has served a purpose and made me learn something or change the way I think or change what I think is happening next and has drawn me into the world and the mystery more. Whereas this book has done nothing but tread water since the Zero issue. It takes a lot of talent for a writer to sit down and create distinct voices and have interesting conversations between these characters. I brought up Tarantino before, but that's always been a hallmark of his movies is that he's able to really create dynamic interactions with characters who aren't People doing sitting it. and monologuing at um, each other is are that's what's interesting because it's just good good dialogue. Yeah, and that kind of thing takes a lot of time to really craft because you have to you can't just bullshit it in your head like just like oh I'm gonna write how I I, I imaginary conversation goes with me and someone else. It doesn't work that way. It, that's hack. That's hackneyed. Um, you, we talked about it's a it's a it's an unfair comparison, but you know Bendis has been you know perhaps the highest selling author of the last two decades, so he 
deservedly deserves to be knocked down a peg when you're comparing him to something that's as good as Hickman. But there is no real action in House of uh, X number two. It's it's all expository, as we mentioned earlier in the episode, and he makes it really meaningful. I think it's the best issue so far, and it's a giant info dump. Yeah, exactly. And that's to your point. How often, Pete, do you hate all, info most dumps? of the time? <laughs> exactly. You were going to say all of the time because that's right. how it feels. Yeah. <laughs> and this attempts to do something similar. It's a giant info dump of nothing. And it's well, bad. and that's why it's bad too, because it's not it's not just that it's not even achieving anything. Like it's not even actually it it, it very much reek of the same problem that happened with Heroes in Crisis, where we're treading water yep. and we're having issues. Because here's the thing, right? If you take every issue so far of to keep the House of X and Powers of X comparison, right? Each one of those issues you can boil down its purpose into a concise pitch of in this issue, this is what happens and this is what I learn, right? Like in the first issue, when we were like, we don't know what's happening and everything, but what was the big takeaway that that, that Sean had, right? These are not the X-Men we know. And that changes how yes. you think about everything, right? And then the net, and then- That's a great right? hook. And then the, the page you just talked about where we're like, we had this giant cliffhanger of, what did Charles learn? What could it mean? And we had all these theories. And then that big info dump expository issue. Oh, guess what? It answered all of those questions. And it made it confirmed one of my theories and contextualized it in a way bigger, crazier narrative than I could have conceived. And each one has a purpose and it builds and it goes somewhere. And that's the hallmark of good comic writing, but especially good event writing, is that each issue has to achieve something. And not one of these issues has achieved anything, excluding getting the characters that he wants together together under fairly, you know, a good, a, a good, a good pretense. But now there, he's not doing anything with it. There's no heat. That's how Sean would put it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You need to write with a purpose. It's the same thing in journalism, which is why why does the audience care? Who are you writing for? That's writing right. 101, period. And even if it's a slow issue. What are you trying so to say? Daredevil number nine, what are you trying to say? And say exactly. It. <laughs> or, and, or don't write it at all. And this is everything I feared with Bendis coming to DC. Do you know what would make this book better? Yeah. And I mean this in all sincerity is if you got so one thing that's really ugly about this book is it's just word balloon after word balloon mm-hmm. after word yes. balloon there's so much of it if you got rid of all these unnecessary word balloons and just of the art it would be a much more compelling read. dude just look at there's this one page that has three panels and literally two boxes where leviathan comes in is it the amanda waller one? yeah 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 and leviathan <laughs> just like comes on like it's gorgeous yeah. it's gorgeous you take off those two panels gorgeous you frame that shit right but but to your point phil look, look at look at the space like with the that panel uh with those panels and with that the minimal text box it just looks like a consistent page and that's the, the yep. sort of shit you should be doing one with alex Maleev, and then two to tell your story that's how you're telling it you're pacing it out that way yeah and it's just like it's such a shame because i feel like the work that Maleev is doing here is so good and i like fire but I, it's like ah uh, i don't know man yeah, I don't. I don't even. I really don't even have anything else to say. I'm just. I'm. I'm so disinterested. Next. In this. Wait, I do have another oh. thing to say, and it's to this point. And 
this stuff that we're complaining about is the kind of thing a rookie comic writer is guilty of. This is the kind of thing Scott Snyder did when he broke into comics when he was first teaming up with, um, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Capullo. And this is the stuff Capullo had to like kind of work with him on to kind of pull back. Let the art speak for itself when it speaks for itself. Experience comic writers let the artists do their thing. And this is a 25-year-old pro who is making these types of mistakes. Maliev is one of the most brilliant and gifted artists in this entire industry, and he won't let the art speak for itself. Yeah. It's so frustrating. So let's let's move on to a book that I'm really excited to talk about and that I enjoyed quite a bit, uh, which is Powers of X. Because as we've already said and we said in our <laughs> criticism of of leviathan this is this is how you do an event man the house of x powers of x like it's it's interesting it's well paced and the fact that these two books are coming out weekly is fucking great and the fact that they both have such different focuses is also really cool it's enlightening like it 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 lets you think about the story from all these different angles and like really see the work that's being put in here by Hickman to, to plot this so well. Yo, uh, random, but that for, uh, back to Carlos's question really quick. Honestly, Morgan McTaggart and Professor X kind of key couple. Yeah, I'm about it. I ship it. Uh, but outside of that, <laughs> yo, this, this story, I like that they're, they've begun to, uh, they've begun to tie in more directly, even more directly the house of x and the powers of 10 like the 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 story is now more like consistent and fluid between the books um so i i like that it's like all starting to tie together together more so um you guys saw you guys peeped early day nimrod on the on the big yellow like chip screens yeah 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 that's great you want to know how i i know this book has been crafted with a lot of love and care is one this immediately follows house of power uh, house of x number two which has that big reveal and so it kind of shows how they coalesce magneto but it's just like the little things where it's like a lot of the coloring so in 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 what x to the zero power where they or i guess x to the one power like there's a lot of warm yellows from the screen which is like i I feel like kind of represents like a unity between all the mutants but when you fast forward there's more uh there's more like whites and purples because of nimrod and it like feels like uh, st- sterility to me so like just from like an art design perspective like it feels like they it it doesn't just have this very fascinating plot and and, and foundation like it has actual thought put into like the composition. Of yeah, it. I mean, I think in general, I I'm really impressed with with this art team, um, which is uh, it's Silva and uh, De Benedetto, and um, oh, and uh, uh, it's Gracia, right? Is the colorist? Uh, yeah, Marta, Marta Gracia. Yeah, uh, they are doing really great work here across the board. And particularly, I'm really impressed with how they how they handle Magneto. Um, the actual like conversation that the three of them have, like 
when there's all these great shots of him with his, you know, his face cast in the shadow and everything and like him finally opening himself up and he takes the helmet off. It like there's so much gravity to those moments because of how well they're like they're portrayed. Like just like the like right, like the scene my two favorite pages in the book were that conversation and Moira says, in this world, who determines what is truly good and what is truly evil, right? And Magneto says, I do. I decide. And the shot of them, and he's saying, like, how do I know that this isn't you just trying to beat me, to trick me, to take advantage of me? And Xavier asks him to trust him. And in that, right, like, Moira and Charles are in the light of the sun, and Magneto is in the shadows, but his waist is a little bit in the sun. You can see that he's stepping in. Then he steps into the light and takes his oh, helmet off. Oh, Pete. Yo, I did not even notice that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's there's just so... There's just so many good moments like that in this book where it's not only that it's this crazy deep plot that's so well realized and and plotted and and engaging but like it has good great art and and solid emotional moments because the whole moira thing right like when when you were talking about how what must it be like to write a being like that hickman got it because like that first page is about her boring plain human life and that sets such an interesting stage for like like you look at the emotional context of each thing and how it continues to grow the story, right? Like Hickman is playing in this conversation on Charles and Xavier's relationship and that there's clearly love and respect between them, but that they just don't see eye to eye. But like, guess what? Now they can, you know? And like, what does that mean? What does that change? You know, like, what does that mean for Magneto? What does that mean for Charles? You know? And like, it's just it's just so good. And the fact that you can see what it means because we get these flashes forward yeah. somehow makes it more interesting. And that never works. Like that's 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 again in the same way that I almost always hate info dumps. I almost always hate when there's excessive flashbacks or forwards or prequels or whatever. And this is just it's just getting it right. Cause like Marco said, you can see uh, you know, what's his name, the robot? Um, Nimrod, you can see Nimrod's face on the computer, right? And you're like, oh, fuck. Like, that's, and, and that somehow has gravity, even though you already know what happens and how he's made. Right. And, and, it's like a, it's a minor reveal that's like, oh, that's how that happens. Right. And that's just, it's just good writing. It's, it's dripped to you over time in a way that you can digest it, but everything still has weight because, there's still mystery and intrigue, even though stuff has been spoiled for us. It's really challenging to frame your narrative out of order. And I think the fact that it, now going ahead to the 100th power is not clear to me yet. I can't distinguish where that's leading, but that's the one I'm most intrigued by because it's shrouded in the most mystery, I think. But Shrouded to uh, the 10th power, where we're 100 years in the future, that's a major focal point for the series. And that, I, I'm not clear on where that's going to lead, because this is going to spiral to a larger Hickman run. So I'm really curious why, how 
we we could see the seeds of how x to the one power and x to the tenth power uh, correlate to one another. Like we could see how x gets to z, so to speak. Uh, like we can we can understand that y is some kind of giant human techno mutant war that leads to Nimrod uh, in a hundred year in the, the tenth power, or whatever. Um, so the way he's structuring it is so meaningful. Like, like you know what they, I thought was... A... They feel like they oh, are linked together. Sorry. I thought you were done. Not pausing. Go ahead. That was my last thought. Yeah. It was just that you can see he's making them link together in an interesting way. And, yeah. And, and I think playing off that point as well as the last one that I made, like, if you look at that, the, the last page in the uh, X to the first power timeline where they're talking about the creation of Nimrod and how it needs to be stopped, right? And, like, Scott in that shot with all the light, and he says, like, does it have to be done? Then it will be done. And, like... Yeah, I great. love him as a great soldier, dialogue. dude. And it's, like... Cyclops as a soldier is fucking amazing. It's, it's really cool, and it's it, it's interesting because, like, you know it, it isn't going to play out that way. Yeah. But, like, that that has weight. Because that moment is now tragic, in a way, you know, and like, ah, well, it's it's just yeah. it's really intelligently plotted. So that's what's interesting is so it seems like we understand where this is going, but I think there's I I, I made this analogy two weeks ago where I said it feels like we're on Earth trying to look out into the galaxy and a lot of it's still shrouded in darkness and that's how I feel here. It's like we're sitting on a puzzle we're sitting on a puzzle piece trying to look at a one thousand piece puzzle and we can't see the horizon. We can't distinguish the skyline from the shore. And I think what's going to be a really key element in all of this is this X to the one hundredth power because. The entire third part of the issue is just that, and there's this whole distinction at the end about the types of societies and their intelligence. And so, while it seems like there's this great tragedy in the X Men failing in this, this this dystopia in the X to the tenth power, I'm not sure things are as they seem. Yeah, and I and that's what's great I feel about like they can't be right. So. Yeah, that's yeah. why it's so interesting too, because there's there's still so much mystery, especially about what's going on in the the latter two timelines, because they're uncharted territory, right? The fact that apocalypse could be a reveal is speaks to that. So, so the remember the last or oh, not last issue, Powers of X two, uh, I mean House of X two one. Um, oh. they, they have that like metallic person that comes in and discusses and talks with Mo- uh, Moira. Is that, or are those the race that's shown in this last page here with that's talking no, to no, the, no, 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 uh, you mean the, the mutant who, who threatens her, who says that like, we'll come back and kill you and everything. Yeah. Oh no, that's yeah, destiny. That's destiny. Oh, is that different? She, she's just a mutant. Yeah. The, she, the, oh, okay. the race right. that's shown here during the the ascension scene like that whole is the business straight up just the phalanx those are the post humans so we don't really know what they are like i think the implication here is that they're human beings and and technology no those are the the phalanx are they 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, the silver yes. things. It says so. They announce themselves. Yeah, as we that. phalanx. No, 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 no. I mean the blue people. Oh no no no! Sorry, I was talking about I was talking oh, about the phalanx. I thought oh. that that phalanx was the mutant destiny. I'm sorry, misunderstanding. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah no 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 no. And the phalanx are uh, in, the, you know, the, they've been in a lot of comics. They're from X Men comics from the '90s. They were in Annihilation Conquest as a major. They were the major antagonist. So their role uh, clearly has evolved as a society over the last, you know, X number of years. Uh, I don't know what that means yet, but that all ties together with his little um, kind of an, uh, uh, encyclopedia at the back about these types of societies, and clearly they've evolved in some way. Uh, it, it's listed in the back there when he talks about uh, society intelligence uh, one million with the phalanx, which is like an inter- it says it's an interstellar society that uh, operates at a galactic scale. That whole part is unclear. We can only gleam in on what that's going to be. And that's why I'm really inter- interested. In yeah, it. it's it's super compelling, man. It really is. Um, I, I just like, I feel like there's just so much to chew on in these, in these books. Because like last week, Sean and I spent so long talking about the timeline at the end. And how there are events on the timelines that were not represented in the issue, and how there are multiple timelines that don't appear to have an ending, and like what that means, and that there are all these implications based on Moira. Like, what timeline is this? Like, like are we currently seeing, like, in Powers, is this all the stuff from her 10th lifetime, and the aftermath of that? Or is it 11th? Like... Because we learned that she could potentially have an 11th life, and we haven't seen the greater ramifications of that. Like, it's very confusing because there's stuff on the 10th timeline that looks like it's the mainline X Men history. And that can't be. Because then that implication would be that Charles and Magneto have known this all along, or that, like, the time is bent in a way that's really weird given. What we know, well, I, and I don't know. I I kind of I kind of seen it as like she's in that loop, but every time that she's in that loop, she can affect the change in a different way. Either because like that's why she's able to go faster on a lot of stuff. She's able to. Well, yeah, um, but what what timeline are we in right now, though? Is this the tenth life? Is that what you think? Well, I, I don't know that they. I thought it was like less than that. I thought it was like the seventh or something. No, 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 no. If you go and look at the timeline in the back of House of X two. Um, yeah, this is this is Moira's tenth timeline. Destiny says this, as far as she can tell, oh, she might have one more. Is the final stop for Moira. Well, but no, she says to answer 10, your... 11 if you play your cards right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah. So, as I think, what we're seeing, as far as we're aware, is the tenth timeline. Right. Seemingly. But what, if we're you... where that right. I'm sorry, no, go ahead. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So what you're saying is, like, if if that 11th occurs, what are the, those ramifications? Yeah, and... We don't know. Are the future timelines... Affected by it? Yeah, or, like, are they maybe in them? You know, like, we don't really, like... I, there's no confirmation that all of these things are, are happening at the same exact time. Oh, you're right. Oh, I see what you're saying. So, like, if you again, if you go and I, I pulled it, it back, it could be up. like her, th- if like you go her and fourth look at life the, or something, right? Yeah. 
I see what you're saying. It Who could knows? be. Uh, but but oh. so the thing is, if you go and you look at her her timeline, right? The apocalypse timeline where she awakens apocalypse and the apocalypse war begins when she's 42 years old. That timeline isn't over. Like you look at it and it's got arrows going off the page, which indicates that she's alive. That like there there's that she's still there's going. a continuation there. Yeah, right. And you see the same thing on Life 10. So how is that possible? So I don't know if that's just because we don't have that information or if that's supposed to mean something. One of the other yeah. things I called out was that on, uh, what is it? This is 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Life, no, 5. Life 5. There is a gap. So it says Moira is injured in a, t- in a sentinel attack, coma. Huge gap. You're 44. Genocide at far away. So it doesn't say that she dies in the genocide at Far Away. And every other timeline where it ends, it says she dies and it says how she dies. And Life 6 is not on her timeline. There's a timeline for Lives 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, 7, 8, and 9, and 10. Oh, you're right. So no 6. Hmm. I, have to ima- I have to imagine that's completely de- yeah. deliberate. So that has to mean something. So my the thing I'm wondering is, is it a possibility that empowers of X we're seeing multiple timelines in these X to the whatever powers. Is this all the house of X timeline or interesting is the, uh, the X zero event, the year one stuff. That's clearly the 10th timeline. I, I believe that this is all the 10th timeline, and I think it's just a simple math that Hickman's doing. This is Moira's 10th life. Everything is to the 10th power. I think you're probably right, but a part of me does wonder. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean anything in terms of what, where the story is going. I think what we're being shown right now is just that, yeah. though. And it's possible. I think it's just specifically interesting because there was a reveal in this issue, too, right, that Apocalypse, that apocalypse is alive. So, uh, and that's in the third timeline. It could be possible that that's the apocalypse timeline in her ninth life where she awakens apocalypse. Or it could be that on the 10th timeline after Cyclops' mission fails and the machines rise and Charles and Xavier die or something. Or no, Um, I said Charles and Xavier. Magneto. Magneto is still alive. If Charles dies or whatever, maybe they awaken Apocalypse as like a, a, a Hail Mary. But that the cool thing is all of these are possibilities. I I have complete trust in what Hickman's doing, which is always a no satisfying question. feeling with an author. No question, dude. It's great. And I mean, we've seen him juggle stuff like this before and land the plane. So, yeah. Yeah. So what is so uh, House of Powers number three next week, right? Yes. No, wait, 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 wait. House of X. Yeah, House of X next week. I keep wanting to say House of Powers. I'm sorry. Wait, are are you sure? House of X. Yeah, because this is Powers of X. There's there's two weeks where they double up. Do they? Yeah, let me check. Oh. Uh, I close. Oh, you're right. It's this week. Powers of X. Yeah. Yeah, So it's actually it's our it's actually Powers again next week. And then and then House of X. Yeah. And then House of X the following. Okay. Look at that. Look at that. Yeah, I remember. I'm all in on this book, man. You really are. I like it. I like to see it's it. It's great. It's so good. 
It's like I, I, I honestly don't remember the last time I was this into a not only a Marvel event, but even just like a like a superhero book where I'm just like, oh my god, like I gotta, I have to see. You know, right. it's 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 so good. Terrific! Man. Oh yeah, love to see. It. I love to see it too. Yeah, it's um, a good feeling. This yeah. big shout out to the whole is, creative yeah, team. This is very uh, good on both of these books. Like where I, it's been a, it's been an absolute treat, absolute treat. Uh, certainly a lot better than uh, Heroes in Crisis or uh, uh, Project Leviathan. Yeah, I mean that's not saying much. I feel like I feel like that's almost an insult to how good these books are. To be like, they're certainly better than those things. It's like, well, yeah, definitely. That <laughs> yes, is not inher- even up for question. In- inherently. Um, no, I mean, I, I I, think Sean said this first on the show, but I, I genuinely think this is a book we'll talk about for years to come. I think this is a uh, an X-Men book that will be looked at as one of the, the significant runs, you know? Because it's not only really good um, and has, like weirdly seemingly unanimous praise have you seen anybody bitching about this book because i haven't i have not i've seen a lot of people talking about how great it is yep everybody loves it yo even my my co-worker who like reads on and off like picked it up because hickman came back and was like yo this shit is fire i was like yeah dude dude it's really good one of my co-workers who listens to our show like semi-regularly but like isn't like a comics big person like like superheroes plays the games mm-hmm. grew up on the cartoons that kind of casual fan uh, yeah, he hit me up about this months ago. And oh. Was like, yo, you excited for that Hickman X Men book? I was like, yeah. Why are you? And he's like, oh, they're <laughs> coming back. It's like a big thing. I'm gonna jump on and read it. And like, it's getting like normies in on it too and shit, man. Yeah, I, like, I've had like people that you know, like, no, I do comics. Should hit me up and being like, what do I gotta read to get in on this? It's I want to read the X Men. Like they're back. Mm-hmm. So it's cool, man. It's there's a lot of hype around this book, and it's earned. It's so goddamn very good. Very much so. Very so much so. Good. I've seen. I've. I have seen people bitch about this book. Really? I. I would people, literally yeah, have not. There's been people that are saying Hickman is going down the same well of trying to make a statement about transhumanism, which I haven't read enough Hickman books to know what that means, um, but. There are certainly people who are uh, skeptical, saying that he's doing a thing that he's done a lot, and that doesn't make it interesting. Well, I'm I dig I'm it. sure enjoying it. Yeah. Oh, me too. Uh, yeah, yeah, same. Yeah. I'm just saying there are people out there who are not uh, well, into it. Well, They're those lost. people can suck an egg. <laughs> Hell yeah, Marco. Yeah, yeah. You tell them. Yeah. You tell them, Marco. My dad works for Marvel, and he's gonna kick your butt. Oh, say that that destroys my credibility. <laughs> okay, uh, so I, I think that wraps it up here. Aside from just heaping more praise onto the book, um, we're really enjoying the ride. We'll be back next week for another review. Shawnee will be back. Uh, Kale will be back. Uh, so we'll have the whole crew together. He's gonna have some catching up to do. Oh no! Yeah, Kale's yeah, our back? Magneto's yeah. back. But the thing is, Phil. There's there's no timeline where we're not united where we don't lose. Oh damn nice. Look at that. So if you enjoyed this episode of the Comics Pals, thank you. Um if you're a new listener, uh the show's usually a little different. I'm not the host. It's a little tighter with Sean here. Um sometimes, I guess, because we're rowdier. It's a good show either way. I hope you enjoyed it. Um please give us a subscribe on your platform of choice. If we're not on a platform that you want us to be on, let us know and we'll get there. Uh, give us all the likes on all the platforms. Go follow us at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. Uh, we've got lots of cool stuff. 
all over the web, so go check it out. And um, yeah, uh, hit us up at thecomicspals at gmail.com if you want to write in and let your let us know your thoughts on what's going on in the X-Men. We're really enjoying it. Um, I'm excited to talk about about it again next week. So I'd love to get some listener questions. So if any of you are out there reading it and enjoying it, I hope you'll write in. So before we get out of here, let's do some plugs. Um, I usually go first. So Phil. Oh, whoa. I'm not used to going first. I'm usually the penultimate plugger. That's okay. Um, hey, I just saw uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a couple weeks ago. That movie was uh, really good. It might be my favorite movie of the year so far. So really? Yeah, check that out. Oh yeah, it's been it's a that's a good one. Uh, it's one of the better Tarantino movies, I'd say. Um, and then if you want to talk to me about Daredevil or Green Lantern or or uh, Hickman's X Men shit right now, I'm in. I'm into it. I'll talk to you about it. Usually, I'm not this inviting to engage with me on social media, so take it now. You can find me at Cyborg Bebop on Instagram and Twitter. Cool. Marco? You can find me at Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, shout out to the Tilly Walden starter kit. For those of you who don't know, Tilly Walden uh, recently won an Eisner for uh, her debut graphic novel. Um, and since then, she's been putting out fire shit. So there's a... Avery Hill Publishing is currently running a promotion for 35 pounds. You get her first three books as well as a signed ad print, uh, a signed, sorry, A4 pr- uh, print. There's only 30 available of those, but you do get the rest of the three books if you don't manage to get the print. Uh, she's a really great artist. She usually works independently. Um, and go check her out. Cool. Uh, as for me, you can find me at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can find the rest of my work on the webs over on uh, lootpots.com where I uh, sometimes write Nintendo news and reviews. I host their weekly podcast, The Potscast, uh, as well as our Patreon exclusive show, After Dark, where we talk about all kinds of dumbass nonsense. So if you want to go uh, check out some more stuff from me, go show your support. I'd greatly appreciate it. Um, you can get Sean at Sean Soapbox on Twitter and Instagram only. And uh, you can find Kale's stuff uh, at KaleWard.com uh, where you can check out his books uh, as, a, as a comic writer as well as his podcast with his wife, Gone Global. And uh, you can also find him on social media at Toto and Toe. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. Wow, that was really nice, Pete. Yeah, pretty good. All right, so we'll catch you next week for another episode of The Comics Pals. We love you. Bye. X-Men, X-Men, saving a day. Da, 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 day. Keep going, buddy. Oh, saving a day. X-Men, X-Men. Saving a day. <laughs> X-Men, X-Men. Saving a day. Dun, 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 dun. X-Men, dun, X-Men, dun, 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 dun. saving a day. Da, 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 day.